And this is the dulling of the mind, part one. And uh, we'll do the second part tomorrow night. Uh, uh, and uh, again, a whole lot to discuss. So uh, let's get right into this. Our scripture reading for tonight is taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting at verse 5. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 5. And the Bible says, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. So our message again tonight, Dulling the Mind, Part 1, from our series this week, uh, The Mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. We thank you for this opportunity to fellowship, Lord. I just ask once again, Lord, that you send your Holy Spirit, and that, Lord, you just uh, fill this time with truth um, and with power. Lord, you speak. You uh, illuminate the words, uh, Father, and you stay with the technology as we do this, Lord, um, so that, Lord, your people might be blessed. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to jump to the book of Daniel, chapter three. Um, and as some background, of course, um, in Daniel chapter one, Daniel and the three Hebrew boys are um, challenged with eating of the king's meat and drinking his wine, and they refuse. Instead, they drink water and eat pulse. Uh, this starts them off uh, in the right direction. But Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a vision, um, and no one can interpret it. And uh, he is quite impressed with Daniel's ability to not only interpret the dream, but Daniel is able to tell him the dream he cannot, um, that he cannot remember. And uh, it is the basis of a lot of our prophecy with Babylon being the head of gold and Nebuchadnezzar in his vision where this, where we'll show you, we'll get more into the, into the image in a second, but he, he see this image is given of him of the head of gold and, and Nebuchadnezzar is head over heels in love. He loves the power. He loves the idea that his kingdom is so incredible um, that he eventually goes to make a real life version of this image that he saw in his, in his dream, but he makes the whole thing of gold a symbol that he is looking to be in power forever. He wants his kingdom to last forever, almost in defiance of what God told him in the vision. So Daniel chapter three and verse one says, uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, that would probably be as high as 90 feet tall, a pretty, pretty extensive uh, statue. And even to this day on the plains of Dura, I should have found a picture of it, uh, there, there's a, a rectilinear mound uh, that sits on the plain of Dura to this day. It is about uh, 25 feet high. Um, and it's an exact square of about 46 feet at the base. Um, and, and so 
um, Heslop says this, but it seems like it would have almost been the, the pedestal of a colossal statue. So there are there's some archaeological uh, or maybe some archaeological evidence of this statue, actually, um, when you look at it. So this is the Babylon, a little picture of Babylonian Empire, um, very powerful empire. They were uh, battling with the Assyrian Empire for a while, but the Assyrian Empire was actually taken out by God. Uh, Hezekiah prayed, and one angel destroyed 180,000 of their soldiers, and that pretty much, uh, they never really recovered from that. Without Assyria, Babylon rose to incredible dominance. Um, and they were a very intelligent people, um, uh, sophisticated society, with systems of financial trade, interest, um, investing. Uh, Babylon had all of that. And with it um, came great riches and power um, to the Babylonians and, of course, to the Babylonian king. And to this day, some of those institutions and ways of money making and economy exist uh, and and even to this day, the influence even of the of the false worship systems of Babylon still influenced the world today. Of course, they had the hanging gardens and they had built many things. Babylon was a beautiful, beautiful city. Um, the symbol was the lion, um, and Babylon was one of those places where it was it was almost mythical to visit the city of Babylon, unless of course you were one of the captives and uh, the captivity of Judah lasted for 70 years, as Jeremiah the prophet predicted. Uh, and Daniel and the three Hebrew boys went in the first siege of Babylon, uh, somewhere around 605 BC. And you can see that they, you couldn't just go straight across the desert, take the shortest cut here. You had to go up and all the way around the Fertile Crescent uh, to Babylon. And it was, uh, you can only imagine, Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, of course, were princes. They were uh, descendants of royalty, um, and it would have been, you know, unmanageable, unimaginable the things that they would have had to go through in order to get to Babylon. It would have been a very difficult thing. Of course, here's Nebuchadnezzar himself um, in a, a form of a bust. Um, he was a, a great king, um, and the Bible gives a lot of detail into his life, especially how he um, converted over eventually under the influence of the captives, which is one of the fun, most phenomenal stories in the Bible, in my opinion. But of course, the head of gold um, was Babylon um, in this vision that he had in Daniel chapter two. The um, arm, shoulder, torso was the Medo-Persian Empire, Greece. The midsection was of bronze. The legs, Rome, the feet mixed with iron and clay, went into modern day Europe. Um, and to some extent, really even uh, the uh, the rise in power of America, which is then, of course, um, reflected reflected more in detail in Revelation chapter thirteen, the rise of America, um, and so the story goes: Daniel three and uh, three and verse two. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So he sets up this thing. He brings all of the leadership, all of the influential people to come to the dedication of this image that Nebuchadnezzar has made. In verse three, it says, then the princes, the governors and captains, the judges and treasurers, 
treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together into the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So they got there. They're in the plain of Dura. They're standing before this great image. The sheriffs, the counselors, all the rulers, everyone is there. Uh, in verse 4, then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time when you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. Music is instrumental in this process of false worship. And in verse 6, it says, And whoso falleth not down in worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So uh, the, the, the image is set up. The rulers and leaders are there. The captives of Israel are there. Um, everyone is brought out. This is uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's high time. They begin to play music to get people um, ready to worship. And the punishment for not worshiping is that you'd be thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, they, the Babylonians had a lot of furnaces. And the reason they had all these furnaces is because the stone was not readily available to build within Babylon. So they had to bake brick. Um, so they had uh, furnaces. And so um, the brick was used pretty extensively. Um, brick normally would be cured at about 1,000 degrees centigrade. But a Babylonian brick kiln might have operated even hotter. Some scholars think up to 1300 centigrade. Um, and it would make a colorful, uh, um, they put a colorful glaze on it. So they could, it was really ornate, really beautiful, really decorative. To show you how interesting it is, this is an actual stone. And Nebuchadnezzar would stamp his name on every stone. So the buildings basically said Nebuchadnezzar all over them. Um, on each in, in individual brick, and then the bricks would be colored, and they would have, a, a, you know, beautiful appearance. So it says here, therefore, at the time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. If you could imagine the size of this concert, the influence of music to prepare people to bow. There were people from all over the empire, many of whom uh, already had their gods. And, they, and so um, this was a new god that they would have to, a new image they would have to bow down to. And so it's almost as if to prepare their minds to worship, this music was played. Now, music has an interesting influence on the human brain. Um, I always say music bypasses the frontal lobe, um, it doesn't mean that that uh, there's some the music does something much different than a lot of other forms of of, sens uh, of sensory input. What it, what I mean by that is that when when you listen to music, multiple parts of the brain have to light up, as you can see here, in order to process music. Well, and then the frontal lobe has to make sense of it. So it the frontal lobe has like the final work, but that means that the music is already in. The the message can get in. Uh, before you get a chance to process it.
That's what's important. Uh, so when you play music, it can have powerful influences on people. Uh, music is, is a great tool for good or for evil. Um, and I should have put some slides up on this. And you have to remember, in the spiritual realm, Satan, uh, according to the book of Ezekiel, he is built with pipes and tabrets. Lucifer was a living, breathing musical instrument. Uh, the head of the heavenly choirs, um, he would lead worship in heaven. He, he knows music better than anyone on earth. Um, and he uses music to his advantage. Um, some people think music is just music and it's harmless, but there's a lot of ways that you can tell in your in simple ways in life. Music has great power. There's a reason Nebuchadnezzar played music before he asked them to worship. Well, music um, simultaneously stimulates the left and the right hemisphere of the brain. It boosts learning and information. Intake, therefore, augmenting cognitive skills. In fact, when you play music, someone can learn something um, five times better, five times more efficiently. Um, it boosts learning up to five times. That is powerful. So this is why when children are little, we sing them songs for them to learn. Uh, probably most famously is are the ABCs, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Why do we do that? We do that because it's a way to stick that into your mind. In fact, even as adult, if I can't remember what letter comes after another one, I almost have to sing that song. That's how powerful just putting something to melody is. This is why, church, don't miss this. This is why the hymns of the church will always be important um, because those are songs that have powerful meaning put to music, um, doctrinal meaning. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll spoiler alert you guys on this one. A lot of the modern Christian music is devoid of that. Very emotional and, and some of it very appropriate. You can sing it, but it does a lot of it doesn't tie you to any, uh, commit you to any doctrinal truths. Part of the reason we sing songs in church um, is because it teaches us about God, about Christ, about his word, about his truth. And music accelerates that learning. Um, and so the devil does not want that. So you will notice as you go along that music in church um, has gotten less and less instructive less and less informative in its lyrical content, more and more emotional. And we'll talk about when music becomes emotional like this, what does it actually do to a person? Um, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 23, and it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Now, um, God allowed these evil spirits to get to Saul. That's what that's what the text is saying. In order to remove the evil spirits, David would come in and he would play his harp. Why is this significant? If you can play an evil spirit out of someone, I have to ask you, church, does that mean music could play an evil spirit into someone? Um, does, you know, does music have the power to change the spiritual atmosphere around a person? According to 1 Samuel 16, 23, the Christian would have to believe that this is true. This means that what we listen to is critically important. Nebuchadnezzar knew to play music uh, at the time of the dedication of his image because he knew he needed to bring the, the um, resistance um, 
uh, and the uh, threshold down in those who did not believe in worshiping idols. Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, and of course, Daniel is missing in the story, but the three Hebrew boys would never bow down, you know, would not raise to bow down to, to idols. But they would not have been the only captives of Judah and Jerusalem that were there. Yet they're the only ones ever mentioned as not having bowed. The purpose of the music was to change the spiritual atmosphere, allow people to think something isn't as bad as it is. And um, for those people who say that music has no power, uh, one of the tests that people say that you can try is to actually see if you can get a version of a movie without the music and see how different, without this background score, how much less emotional, how, how much less feeling a movie has. A scary movie is nowhere near as scary without the music that builds to the scenes that they're trying to get you to be afraid in. Um, and this is the way music works. It can not only change the spiritual atmosphere, it can change your emotional state, move you from one state to another. It's very powerful. This is why uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter seven, that it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. And so for a lot of us as Christians, um, we want music that's going to make us feel good, but it might very well be the song of fools. It is better, actually, to hear the rebuke of the wise. And I would, to, to, to kind of crystallize that, I would say, it's better to have the word preached straight, to hear the full gospel, all of its truth, than to go into a worship situation where you are, you are, you're, you know, where, where where everything is kind of mild and soft, and 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 we don't get the hard truths. Um, and this is one of the ways the devil is going to, you know, um, kind of continue Laodicea in her sleep um, and try and keep people from waking up making you have an emotional experience as Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do without any real transformative preaching, teaching doctrine in song or word. It's better to hear the rebuke of the wise. It's better to be rebuked, better to get your toes stepped on in church when you hear a sermon that, that speaks to your situation and, and rebukes your wrongdoing and calls you to repentance than to hear the song of fools that is so comfortable and so wonderful that you are not moved into that place. So how does music affect us otherwise? Well, a music and health, um, an emotional response of the secretion of immune-boosting hormones is um, induced by certain music. So we know that music can release serotonin, make you feel more satisfied. It can really release dopamine to make to give you a little bit of a feeling of euphoria, uh, and even adrenaline if the music is hype enough, give you energy and, and kind of uh, get you up. But it says here, music decreases the stress-related hormone cortisol, the increased levels of which have weakened the immune system. Hence, the chances of illness get reduced. So. If you play the right music, good music, um, and probably any music you enjoy to some extent would do this, uh, regardless of the type of music, but it, it would bring down your stress levels, make you feel more relaxed. Cortisol, when it's high, and we'll talk more about this as we go through the week, cortisol levels, when they're high, um, you, your body gets cortisol resistant in your immune system because it's cortisol's job to keep the inflammatory aspects of the immune system at bay. When you get cortisol resistance because you're always stressed out, um, you can't control that inflammatory process and you become 
um, inflamed internally um, by your own stress. This is one of the reasons why, uh, as I said yesterday, one of the most important aspects of the Seventh-day Adventist health message is to trust in God, because trusting in God reduces stress. Um, and um, so cortisol levels need to stay down. Music has the ability to mess with this uh, and in a good way to bring the cortisol levels down. So here's a, there's some experiments I'm going to mention. You can, you can look these up um, yourself, but it says the ability of mice to navigate a food maze was tested by continuously playing the music at low volumes to eliminate behavioral changes. So they gave these mice, there were three groups of mice uh, one group uh, was given like no music. One group was given like classical music. One group was given um, different forms of like rock or, or, or voodoo rhythms, uh, they call it. Um, and it says here, those subjected to either silence or straw waltzes had no problem with the maze with a little advantage to the latter. So those that had the, the waltzes, the classical music actually did a little bit better. Those exposed to voodoo drumming performed worse and finally became cannibalistic, hyperactive and ag aggressive and even to, too, too confused to complete the maze. So the music changed the way that the mice were able to see and, and get through the maze, but it also messed with the mice's mind. Does music have this power? According to what we read in the book of Samuel, yes, it does, um, to, to, to change the way people think. But the way that the, the, the study re points it out, it says the highly abnormal neuronal growth patterns with excessive dendrite branches growing out in all directions and having few connections with other neurons were found in the hippocampus region of the brains of these mice. This region acts in learning and memory formation. Due to an increase in dendrite branching, the messenger RNA involved in memory formation also increased. It meant that the brain tried to analyze the sound stimulus but failed. So I won't get into the deep into the science of music, but it's synchronous and dyssynchronous. And it seems as if if the music is dyssynchronous, it, it affects the brain in a different way and a deleterious way. And much of the music that the world listens to is in that uh, dyssynchronous pattern. But it's more than just that. It's not just the rhythms. It's also the way the melodies are played. It's what is said in a lot of the music. Um, it, it's a combination of all of these things that affect the human mind. Here's another study that's just to show you the power of music. 60 patients were enrolled in a study soon after they were hospitalized for major strokes. All received standard stroke care. In addition, a third of the patients were randomly assigned to listen to recorded music for at least one hour a day. Another third listened to audiobooks, and the final group did not receive auditory stimulation. After three months, the verbal memory improved 60% in the music listeners, as compared with 18% in the audiobook group and 29% in the patients who did not receive auditory stimulation. In addition, the music listeners' ability to perform and control mental operations, a skill called focused attention, improved by 17% while the other patients did not improve at all. Music is powerful. Some people say, oh, it's just music. What these studies show you, music um, can affect even the way the body heals after a stroke. So can it be then used, if it can be used for good, can it be used for bad? If it can be used to, to develop um, the mind after a stroke, or redevelop, I should say, a mind after a stroke, what can it do to a mind that is still developing, period? Well, a 2006 study of almost 1,500 teenagers found that teens who heavily heavily listened to music featuring, featuring sexual subject matter are more likely to start having sex earlier than those who do not. By a margin, look at this, church, by a margin of almost two to one.
The study authors found that the pervasive message in such music, that of, stud, uh, of studly, carefree men and subservient sex object women, is reinforced even if it isn't closely paid attention to. This is what I mean by, um, it, quote unquote, bypassing the frontal lobe. Even, even um, if it isn't paid attention to, the music still has its effect on the mind. We think that it really lowers kids' inhibitions and makes them less thoughtful in terms of their decisions. So I hope you get this, that what music ultimately does is it lowers the inhibition. Can you imagine Eve at the tree and a serpent dangling there? Um, the serpent being um, how Satan uh, was able to, to, to kind of get in front of Eve. I would imagine that, you know, we're told by the spirit of prophecy that the serpent was very beautiful and his voice melodious, but can you imagine how wonderfully musical that serpent probably sounded? How it lowered the inhibition? Just the sound, the musical sound of, uh, of the serpent's voice, if Satan was in control, um, would have even further pulled Eve in. Music has the ability to lower the threshold at which you'll do certain things. And so, of course, you, you think about something like a nightclub with the, with the lights flashing, with the music playing, with the alcohol flowing. Inhibitions come way down. Um, this is what the devil wants. He wants to bring people to a place, and he wants to reach the three Hebrew boys. And the modern-day three Hebrew boys are the children, the young people of our churches, he wants to influence them to bow down to idols and images that, of, that they have been trained and raised not to. He wants them to worship themselves, to just go after pleasure, uh, sexual pleasure, um, pleasure in chemicals like alcohol. We'll talk more about that later on in the week as well. This is Satan's design plan to lure in the youth, set them up, and then have them drunk on the things of the world so that they are not paying attention. This is why the Bible says to be sober, be sober, be sober. If music can release dopamine, which gives you pleasure, and serotonin, which gives you satisfaction, it's one of the ways that the devil can make you um, a bit intoxicated, to make you not be sober, to not be vigilant, as, as, the, as, the, as the New Testament writer writes, to be sober, to be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, walketh about like a roaming lion, seeking whom he may devour. But if you got your headphones on, and you're listening to stuff that is t sending you in the opposite of, uh, of direction of God. And specifically here, church, if it has the power to influence you in the spiritual realm as it did Saul. This is one of the reasons I believe that many young people come to church and they can't stand church. All week they've been listening to music that is introducing them to different, uh, to different spirits, unholy spirits. And we ask them to come to church and be in the presence of the Holy Spirit and speak of Christ. Well, the spirit they've been with all week doesn't want to be around the Holy Spirit. And so young, a lot of young people come to church. They can't stand, can't even sit still in church because of what they've been exposed to all week. Um, you know, I've heard, I've, I've had young people when I was pastoring who listen to people like Marilyn Manson, who now, of course, um, is in some serious trouble for um, uh, uh, alleged uh, sexual abuse of women and all kinds of stuff, but he, this guy was like an elder in the church of Satan, and if you listen to that music all week and you come to church, uh, church, isn't, church may not be a place you feel comfortable in. Music has a powerful effect, not just the music itself, but the music videos. Um, 
A later study of such imagery and videos, talking about sexual content in videos, this one focusing on teen women and young girls, confirmed the likelihood that frequent exposure may not only influence how girls see themselves, with greater effect of the younger the girl is, but also could actually affect their ability to have healthy relationships. Do you see that? The study co-author Stacy Hust of the Edward R. Murrow College of Communication said, essentially, when women perceive this heterosexual scripting that's in the media, this can affect, influence, or inform how they think men and women should behave toward one another. Could it be? Part of the reason we have such trouble with relationships is many of us have grown up on misogynistic rock and roll, hip hop, rap music, um, even dancehall reggae music. We have grown up on music forms, uh, even even the um, uh, reggaeton Spanish music that 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 makes women objects and men are uh, simply to conquest the women. Um, it, it, you know, and so the, the music videos that they make with people like Cardi B and these people, um, they just, they just, they, they, uh, they, 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 they make a woman simply a collection of body parts and, and, and the young girl growing up that doesn't feel like she looks like, or, or, or fits in, you know, her, her self image can be damaged. Uh, you know, she can think that men should have a certain type of role in a relationship rather than the kind of partnership God calls for in the scripture between husband and wife, and it can affect them, the music. And think about it. The human brain does not finish developing until around 25 years of old. So when an 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 7-year-old, 13-year-old girl is listening to this music, her mind in its plasticity is being formed and shaped to believe lies about her own body, lies about relationships, lies about how men should treat her, all of that, and, and, and giving you this, this, this very um, surreal concept of romantic love, not grounded in the realities of what it takes to make a relationship work. Music has that power. It can dull the mind. We talked just about how powerful the mind is. The wrong kind of music can limit how you see life and how you do things. So how does the media impact uh, the um, impact, Im- media, Im- uh, impact of media use on children and youth? As I said, the amount of violence on television is on the rise. The average child sees 12,000 violent acts on television every year, including many depictions of murder and rape. More than 1,000 studies confirm that exposure to heavy doses of television violence increases aggressive behavior, particularly in boys. Other studies link television or newspaper publicity of suicides to increased suicide risk. There is a real problem here. The spirit of prophecy says that by beholding, we become changed. By beholding, we become changed. So seeing these things actually begins to impress upon our minds. We'll show you more on that in a little while. But, you know, we are all visually very captivated. And this is probably in like a, in a, one of the superstores, a big screen TV, and a little kid just, just walks right up into the face of this cartoon character, which looks so realistic, uh, more realistic than the cartoons of old. Um, and we, but you become visually captivated. It's difficult for a child to go to school and pay attention um, as we transition from talking about music now to television and, and and media, it's difficult for a child to to go to school and pay attention when this is what the teacher's competing with. Uh, all of the different pixels on the television, they, they go in and out. The fr- a frame on television lasts mere seconds, 8 to 12 seconds. So when you go to school and the teacher just stands there for an hour, it's nowhere near 
as captivating and can probably lead, as we'll see, to um, some attention deficit issues um, for young people, uh, especially children uh, and male children. A lot of research has been done around television viewing and children. Remember, we're talking about dulling the mind now. Um, and Adam Lipson, a neurosurgeon with IGEA Brain and Spine, says one of the best studies is from Tohoku University in Japan. They noted thickening of the frontopolar cortex, which is related to verbal reasoning ability, and also correlated with a drop in IQ in proportion to the number of hours of television watching. That's profound. He says, in addition, they noted thickening in the visual cortex in the occipital lobe and in the hypothalamus, which may correlate with aggression. Studies involving adults have tied television watching to type 2 diabetes, depression, and even crime, adds Lipsum. Many of the studies report adverse effects with television watching greater than one hour a day, he says. So if you do watch television, you, you want to make sure you average, according to this study, less than an hour a day. Um, it obviously makes a strong argument that maybe no television is better, um, but it shows you that it, it's not without impact. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to make sure that he entertained the crowd um, before he did anything. Um, you know, and there are many stories in the Bible like this, but in this story, he plays the music, he gets the crowd entertained, um, he sets up the image, it's a, it's a, all of the senses are involved, and, does, and all of what Nebuchadnezzar did does not have the power that a television screen or a computer screen has in order to influence a mind. This says here, there have been EEG, electroencephalogram studies, that demonstrate that television watching converts the brain from beta wave activity to alpha waves, which are associated with a daydreaming state and reduced use of critical thinking skills. So music is one way that you can get influence the mind without people being really aware of it. Television is another way. If you watch television, what they teach, what they what they espouse, what the storylines tend to lead you to believe. Because you got to remember, somebody is producing, executive producing, directing, writing television shows. Most of them have an agenda. There's something they want you to walk away, especially in this day to age of activism. Uh, they want you to walk away believing something. Of reinforcing a belief. And so there's a lot of push in it. And what the studies show is that your brain actually goes into like a daydreaming state where you are less able to put up the critical firewall in order to protect yourself. So if you're watching shows, for example, that promote evolution, you know, even good shows on, on you know, on the nature channels and stuff, um, you know, some of that is going to slip in. You know, if you keep hearing it over and over and over again, that millions and millions of years ago this happened and millions and millions of years ago that happened, uh, you know, your critical thinking skills just aren't there for the entire time. Eric Braverman, founder and president of PATH Foundation in New York, a nonprofit research organization devoted to brain health, is a little more blunt. And I got to cut out some of what he said. He's basically said the TV, you know, turns your brain into like pudding, but he doesn't say it so nicely. He says television mesmerizes people and turns them into intellectual spectators. It feeds passivity and makes you less engaged. In fact, the way I tell it to young people is you're watching other people get rich. And a lot of times you, you're, the energy you take to watch other people get rich means you don't get anything. You, you, you're not advancing in life. So here it says research has long established that teens who watch movies 
or listen to music that glamorizes drinking, drug use, or violence tend to engage in those behaviors themselves. A 2012 study shows that movies influence teen sexual attitudes and behaviors as well. The study published in Psychological Science found that the more teens were exposed to sexual content in movies, the earlier they started having sex and the likelier they were to have casual, unprotected sex. So not only does the music push kids to have sex early, the movies do. And if you've seen a movie in the last 30 years, you know, most of them promote a pretty reckless um sexual behavior you know they, 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 if, even if you move out of the christian realm where you should wait until you're married which is a god standard i mean even if you move, there's no idea around protecting yourself against sexually transmitted infections there's no talk of of uh, often of even con consent uh, i mean it, it it really lowers the bar around uh sexual intimacy and damage um the damages greatly the concept of purity um, and, and television, movies do that. So how does the Bible describe it? Listen to how the Bible describes it. Isaiah 33, 15 says, he that walks upright, walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he that despises the gain of oppressions, that shakes his hands from holding of bribes, that stops his ears from hearing of blood and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. The last two pieces of this, I'm going to give you what the reward for such a person is here in a second. But the last two pieces of this says that you should stop your ears from hearing of blood. That is listening to music that is violent and detrimental, listening to anything that is violent and detrimental. And you should shut your eyes from seeing evil. How many times when we watch television are we actually watching evil? Well, here are the consequences. He says, if you, if the, Isaiah is saying, if you don't do these things, you will dwell on high. Your place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given to you. His water shall be sure. And look at verse 17. It says, thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. I want you to get that what you watch today may impact whether or not you see the king later. You might see a television show today, but it may cause you to not see the Lord in his elevated state at a later time. That is what there's almost like a warning in Isaiah, you know, you'd have to believe did not have any real understanding of what radio, television, CDs, streaming music, um, uh, Netflix, Hulu, and all these other services, <coughs> but he would never have understood the power that would come in what we hear or see. Yet he gives the warning way back then that what we hear or see can impact how we see eternity. Here's what uh, Ellen White says, Satan's plan for your mind. Satan stands ready to infatuate the mind and soul to pursue a course directly contrary to God's expressed will, that he may separate that soul from God. And he interposes his temptations and gains control over the mind and the heart's affections. This is Satan's studied plan to lead souls to turn from one mighty in counsel to the persuasion of minds who have no love for God, no love for the truth. He wants you to put your mind, Satan wants you to put your mind in a place where it is under the influence of individuals who do not love God and do not love the truth. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing when he played the music, trying to get the influence of these minds away from the God of heaven for those who had come out of Jerusalem and Judah, um, to get the, the, uh, everyone else to a mindset that he himself, Nebuchadnezzar, was a god, 
Um, and that is still happening today. We talk about Hollywood stars. Well, in the scripture, who are the stars? The scripture says that the third part of the stars fell from heaven. If you're a star on earth, um, you know, it's almost a statement of, of being a fallen angel. And yet the influence of these stars, um, I, I, was listen, I was listening to something yesterday and they were saying that we are no longer in the age of information. We are now in the age of influence. We'll talk more about social media later on in the week, but literally we're being, everyone's being constantly influenced. Even the news, the news is meaningless. You know, it's really just the opinions of the, of the channel. It isn't the actual news. You don't know what's actually going on. You're just hearing CNN's side of it or Fox News side of it or, or MSNBC side of it or BBC's. You're not getting straight news anymore. Everything is about influencing us. And this is biblically and prophetically accurate. You will receive the mark of the beast in your, in your forehead or in your hand, as we talked about yesterday. Why? Because those who have been influenced, they may not make a conscious decision to, to receive the mark of the beast, but in their hand, in order to keep their, the, their money going and their, and their families fed, they're going to follow the, um, that influence uh, because that is how they're going to survive. Uh, so uh, if you're not able to critically think today, if you're not able to, to, to study God's word and analyze it for yourself, the scripture says to study to show yourself approved unto God. If you're not doing that, these influences from the media will turn your mind down. It will dull your mind, move your mind away from being like the mind of Christ and, and put you in a position to receive the mark of the beast because you won't be able to put up the mental fight to choose what God would have you to do. So we'll finish the story here, Daniel 3 and verse 8. Wherefore at that time, certain Chaldeans came there and accused the Jews. This is the fun part of the talk. They spake and said to the king of Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship that should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And he says in verse 12 of Daniel 3, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I like what this says because I want to be a certain Jew. I want to be a certain Christian. I want to be the one that stands, the one that stands out in the crowd. There, I'm sure there were many people from Jerusalem who knew they shouldn't uh, bow to this image that pretended to, you know, um, um, you know, hypothetically t bend down and tie their shoes or, or act as if they, you know, just were kneeling. They, but they caved in and there were only three certain Jews. Jews who already had something to lose. According to the text here, they already had been set up over affairs of the province of Babylon. The, the, not bowing meant that they lost money, influence in a foreign land where they had been taken captive as young men. Yet they stood firm to the principles of God. Will you be able to stand like this in a time of trouble? 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they uh, brought these men before the king. So they went and grabbed them, bring them before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Obviously, there were other statues of the gods there as well. 
And it, you almost can hear the hurt in, in Nebuchadnezzar's voice. Like, wait a minute. D didn't I give you guys position? Aren't you guys in favor with me? And you would do this and embarrass me in front of everyone, not bow down? Why won't you worship my gods? Why, why aren't you uh, worshiping the golden image which I set up? Remember, this is it's all about worship. It's all about worship. That's what the mark of the beast is about. It's about worship, the seal of the living God. Verse 15, he wants to give them a second chance. So in verse 15, he says, Now if ye be ready, that at that time when you hear the sound of the music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well, but if you worship not, you'll be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. He says, listen, I can give you another chance. Bow down, worship, you'll be fine. But if you don't worship, you'll be thrown in the, into the fiery furnace. The last phrase here is powerful. Nebuchadnezzar says, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Nebuchadnezzar says, if your God was going to deliver you, you wouldn't be here. You would never have been taken captive. I wouldn't have sacked Jerusalem and walked out with the, the holy articles out of your temple, which God is going to deliver you. If he didn't deliver you in Jerusalem, if he didn't deliver you in, the, in your own land, would he deliver you now? Who's this God that's going to deliver you? You'd better bow down. You better have some sense. Time is running out. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Some Christians are too careful. Some Christians are so careful, they don't want to offend anybody. They have made the gospel of Jesus Christ into uh, the equivalent of a spiritual Twinkie. No spiritual nutritional value whatsoever. It is no longer the sprouted grain bread that God designed it to be. It is no longer the rich fruit with all of its phytonutrients. It is now just empty, hollow, food-like substance, spiritual food-like substance. We'll talk more about food and, and stuff later on in the week. You can't be, at some point, you can't be careful. There's a line you cross when somebody's got to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, this is what God says. This is the way that we will go. You can't dance around a thing forever. And unfortunately, there are those who believe that somehow we as Christians will be able to continue to live and never offend anyone. I'm going to show you some evidences of the attacks that are coming against the Adventist church. You're going to have to learn to stand up. Verse 17, if it be so, a God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He says, they make it clear, listen, we're not worried because our God can deliver us. And then they say, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. And I don't believe that's just talking about the three Hebrew boys. I think he, they're, they're, understand the prophecy that Nebuchadnezzar will not rule forever and that they will not be in um, Babylon forever. But verse 18 is powerful. He says, but if not, even if God chooses not to deliver us, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden images thou hast set up. I love this. They say, listen, our God can, he will deliver us. But guess what? Even if he decided not to deliver us, we would never serve your gods. We would choose death over dishonoring our God. Powerful stuff. Now Nebuchadnezzar is furious. Verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. 
The Bible says in the form of his vices was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, he had a he had a more sympathetic tone. He, he was trying to convince them kindly in order for him nor them to be embarrassed. But when they said, "Listen, we're not careful how we answer you," the Bible says his vices changed. The way he, his face was even formed was different towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more. Then it was wont to be heated. So they tried to heat the furnace up more and more and more. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hose, and in their hats, and in their other, other and in their other garments, and were cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So they didn't take off the clothes so that the clothes would actually work as an incendiary agent, so that they would, they would burn faster. They they just they had this thing all set up. They were going to throw them in the furnace, and and there's some scholars who argue that throwing them into the furnace was a way to almost like sacrifice them to the to the Babylonian gods. Uh, remember, furnaces were very important because they had to make the brick for all of Nebuchadnezzar's building campaigns. So they take them and they throw them in there fully bound and fully in their clothes. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flames of the fire slew the, the, those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was so bad, so hot, so terrible that even the soldiers, these mighty men who grabbed them and threw them in the fire, they dropped dead. That, that was the first sign, the first miracle. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. They throw them in. They fall down. But the Bible says in verse 24, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, is astonished. He got up in haste and spake and said unto the counselors, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They said, oh, king, that's true. Yes, we did. But Daniel 3 and verse 25 says, he answered and said, lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the son of God. Powerful. And I believe when they were taken and thrown into this fiery furnace and the, um, the fire burned what bound them and nothing else. Let me tell you something. God is going to send some of us into the fiery trials of life. You're going to have to stand for God under difficult circumstances. But what God will allow to happen is he will keep you from the fire and destroy what was binding you. He will set you free in your trial. These men are there. And here's the thing. Sometimes the only way you really get to meet God, really get to have an experience with God, is to meet him in the fire. By the time this is all over, the three Hebrew boys had a better relationship with God than they had before. And of course, they, they were able to meet with the pre-incarnate Christ in the fire. Powerful story. Powerful stuff. Christ still meets you in the fire of your trials. Sometimes we're trying to avoid the, the trial, but it is actually the trial itself that gives us the nexus, the opportunity to meet with him. When I was in Guam, I was going through a fiery trial at the time, and it gave me an opportunity to meet with God while the trial was going on, while the difficulty was still going on. I had a chance to spend time with God, and I would not ever ask for that time to, to be taken away to undo how things went. Daniel 3 verse 27 and the princes, governors, and captains 
The king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. So what Nebuchadnezzar had brought in all the dignitaries to make a point that he was the greatest in the universe, that he was the head of gold, not a whole image of gold. And by the time it was all over, God took what Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, the stage um, that Nebuchadnezzar had set, God took it and used it as an opportunity to introduce the entire uh, Babylonian empire, all the people of influence in the empire, to introduce them to the power of Jehovah. See, they thought Jehovah had no power because they were taken captive, the people of Judah and of Jerusalem, but that was because they had sinned. Those that stood up for God still had his protection. And this was um, the way to show it. It's like in the New Testament when Paul goes before Nero and, and Nero has all of the um, all of the, the dignitaries from all over the Roman Empire there, and Paul preaches a powerful sermon. That's, um, the you know, he, uh, 2 Timothy, uh, the whole book of 2 Timothy is written from the vantage of when Paul is in prison uh, dealing with that situation. God will sometimes put you into trouble and draw the world around so that the world will see how powerful God is. And even in our small parts of our lives, God still does this. Daniel 3, verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God. He says, listen, he said, he says, they trusted in God and have changed the king's word. The king said, listen, man, I, I can't go against this God now. Remember, it was Nebuchadnezzar said, who is this God that shall deliver you? Now he's saying, listen, they've changed my word. I believe as time comes to an end, there will be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the latter rain. And I believe God's people are going to, we're going to see miraculous manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We've got to begin to prepare for God to work miracles. Man's minds have become so a calcitrant against the truth that I believe it will take supernatural manifestation for many to come to know God. Nebuchadnezzar said they yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God. Daniel 3.29 says, therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language would speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their house shall be made a dunghill. <clears throat> and look at this, this is the God he didn't know before. He says, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They went from, because they were willing to lose everything and go into the fire, they were promoted. And the whole empire was left to honor God. Why were they able to do this? Because they had sharp minds, because they had given their lives to Christ in such a way that they would not compromise. <clears throat> what we notice um, uh, the media, music, television wants to do is to dull the mind. We'll talk, we're going to do another section on dulling the mind tomorrow. What they want to do is dull the mind so that you get to a place where you um, accept whatever is being told to you and that you will be willing to bow to the idols of this day. I challenge you, church. I challenge you.
to take your the calling and election given you seriously because Jesus is soon to return. Will you stand in the fires of this world? Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for the instruction in your word and for the story of the three Hebrew boys. I pray in a special way, Lord, that we would stand as they did. We would shield our minds from the influences of this world and music and entertainment that would draw us away from you. Help us to raise our children that way, to conduct our even our church services that way, that you are glorified always and in all things. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.